0: A few years ago, uh, Scott Whitmer was arrested by state police on charges of drunk driving. And uh, Scott showed up in court and claimed that state laws did not apply to him because he was his own country. So Scott told the court, I don't live in this state, I live inside myself. So as a result, the judge ordered the entire country of Scott to undergo a mental evaluation. We don't have to be mentally ill to want to have control of our own selves, to want to be in charge and not have others tell us what to do. Uh, That's why there are three ways to get something done. One, do it yourself. Two, hire somebody to do it. Three, forbid your children to do it. We all want the freedom to do what we want, to run our own lives. Today, we uh, want to see why we must surrender to the rule of Christ. We're studying through the Gospel of Mark and uh, in this series called Serve Somebody. We're seeing Jesus, the Son of God, and, and all that He did coming into this world, all headed toward the cross. Last week, we saw His betrayal. Uh, his arrest, and that he was abandoned by all of his followers, all of them who had said, we'll stick with you to the end, even to the point of death, and they all ran away. And Peter denied he even ever knew this Jesus. So we pick up the story in chapter 15, and uh, we are now just hours away from the execution of Jesus. Mark 15 begins with these words. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. So the Sanhedrin had only one reason for handing Jesus over to Pilate, because they wanted him dead. And uh, as the, the Jewish court, they had authority to judge cases, but they did not have the authority to put anyone to death. They were occupied by the Roman government. The Romans had that power, and so they appealed to the Roman governor. They needed an order from him to execute Jesus. So how did they get that order? Well, as we saw last week in chapter 14, uh, they had accused Jesus of blasphemy, of claiming as the Messiah to be the sent one, the the Holy One of God, and that infuriated them, and that was reason enough for them to want Jesus dead. But the government wouldn't take that charge very seriously at all. Uh, Rome only cared about crimes against the state. And so the religious leaders decided on a charge of treason against Jesus. Um, They told Pilate that Jesus claimed to be king. Now that would interest Rome because someone who would lead a political uprising would be a threat to the government. But of course, uh, this was not something Jesus was going to do. He had refused to do this very thing. Throughout his ministry, people had, had expected him to lead a rebellion against the oppressive Roman Empire and to set them free. And they even tried to force Jesus to be king, but he refused. He came into this world... To be the sacrifice for sin. That was his mission toward the cross, to give his life as a ransom for many. So they bring Jesus to Pilate and accuse him of high treason. And Pilate questions Jesus, verse 2, and he asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered them, You have said so. On the original language, Pilate's question reads more like a statement You are the king of the Jews? Uh, It it seems to amuse Pilate that this Jesus, who at that moment is bound up with ropes or chains, an accused criminal, claims to be king. But even though it seemed ridiculous, Pilate would take this accusation seriously. He's not going to share his power with anybody. And Jesus' literal response is, you said it. You said it. Uh, He's not denying that he's king. But Jesus makes it very clear that he's simply not the kind of king that Pilate is. He's not that kind of king. When John records this scene of Jesus before Pilate, uh, he records Jesus saying, My kingdom is not of this world. Yes, I'm a king, but I don't have a kingdom like you have, like uh, the world has. So, so Jesus' kingdom is not the, like the one Pilate rules over. Uh, Jesus' kingdom is not about destroying one's enemies, but praying for them, loving them. That's completely different. Uh, Jesus' kingdom isn't about dominating other people, but serving other people. Jesus' kingdom is not about favoring the rich or the elite, but having dinner with prostitutes and tax collectors, outcasts. So Pilate is not interested in that kind of kingdom. Uh, The the religious leaders are not interested in that kind of kingdom. Uh, They are ruthless or jealous or power-hungry, and that's how the world's kingdom works. By the way, any church that claims to follow Christ but promotes a political party or grabs onto power or favors the wealthy over the poor is not building God's kingdom. Uh, Any preacher that presents the message of Jesus as the way to make your life happy, wealthy, healthy, and worry-free has distorted the message of the Gospel. Any churchgoer who doesn't organize her life around the will of God and seek Him first is not honoring King Jesus. Any ministry that uses people to achieve its own success and fame and enrichment is building their own kingdom instead of God's kingdom. The church in the U.S. is often weak and shallow because too often it is wrapped up in creating an earthly kingdom for itself rather than lifting up King Jesus. There are many people who call themselves Christians who go from church to church or avoid church because what they're interested in is more about the kingdom of this world rather than the kingdom of Jesus. No, Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. Verse 3, the chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply And Pilate was amazed. So despite being accused of all kinds of things, Jesus doesn't say anything. He's not going to defend himself against these lies, these false charges. And this amazes Pilate. Thumazo is the the Greek word. It means to to admire or to be astonished by. He, He admires the fact that Jesus doesn't say anything. He's astonished that Jesus doesn't defend himself. And so as a result, Pilate doesn't see any reason for Jesus to actually be on trial. There's no case here, certainly not a death penalty case. And even though Jesus doesn't defend himself to these charges, he doesn't say anything about the lies, the beatings, the death sentence, and that astonishes Pilate. This in itself is a fulfillment of prophecy. As Isaiah 53:7 says, He was oppressed and afflicted, but he did not open his mouth. Conductor Bruno Walter walked into orchestra rehearsal uh, acknowledged the orchestra, raised his hands for silence. And he said this, the opening of this symphony must be pianissimo. Very, very soft. It opens like a whisper. So he raised his baton and intensely, the, the orchestra prepared to play their instruments and, and Walter lowered his baton. No, no, he said. Already too loud. And I think that many times we are already too loud as people who are trying to follow Jesus. We say the wrong thing at the wrong time in the wrong way. We keep quiet to the wrong people for the wrong reasons on the wrong occasion. Jesus exemplified a far more effective ministry of silence, not even a word Here's some guidelines I would suggest. One is, speak not to defend my honor, but God's honor. This was what Jesus exemplified. When does Jesus get upset and throw things around? Not when he's spit on, not when he's cursed, not when he's lied about, but when the purpose of temple worship was being misused. If only I could be as concerned about what people think of God as I am about what people think of me. That would be important. When was the last time you spoke up in defense of something? Uh, Did it have anything to do with God's honor? If not, next time you might just want to keep quiet. Uh, Another guideline. Speak not to support my agenda, but God's agenda. Throughout His ministry, Jesus was constantly interrupted and mobbed and pulled at. His disciples tried to chase children away from Him, thinking they were protecting Him in His quiet time. But but Jesus was there to do what the Father wanted, not to please Himself. And if only I would support God's objectives as well as I can support my own objectives. As 1 Peter 3.15 tells us, always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that's in you. I'm always ready to give an answer to justify myself to excuse myself, but I need to be ready to give an answer for God's agenda, not mine. And then, thirdly, speak not to praise my success, but God's success. How easy it is to congratulate myself, to elicit praise from others. Uh, Dr. John Stott uh, said that so much so-called testimony is thinly disguised self-advertisement. Think about that for a moment. When people give testimonies, that sometimes this is about them. And Stott says all true testimony is testimony to Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul had an awful lot to, to brag about. But he said, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's Galatians 6.14. If only I would be as anxious to declare God's victories as I am my own victories rather than aggrandizing myself to honor God. now As you go about your business this week, you are going to have opportunity to put this to the test. There will be times that you will want to defend yourself, to brag on yourself, to promote your viewpoint. Make sure your words are from Him. Mm Uh, because God may be calling you to be speechless. First Peter uh, uses this uh, incident in Jesus' life to call us on how we should respond in the face of insults and injustice to ourselves. And, and he, speaking of Jesus' example, he says, When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. So, there is, Peter says, the way we should respond if we're going to be more like Jesus, that when we are falsely accused, we need to be less concerned with defending ourselves and, tr- and entrust ourselves to God who ju- judges justly. So, with this little trial, Pilate is not convinced of Jesus' guilt. He doesn't see Jesus as a political threat. And he tries to dismiss the case through a prisoner release. Uh, Verse 5, 6. Uh, now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. So it's this Passover tradition to release one prisoner. I think that was one way that the Roman government could appease the people they ruled over, uh, making them happy on one of their feast days. And so Pilate offers to release Barabbas. He believes the crowd is going to instead ask for Jesus release. Barabbas is after all an insurrectionist, that is a rebel, a killer. We're not told what Barabbas himself actually did, but he was in with the crowd that had murdered somebody. And so Barabbas was somebody that Pilate didn't think the people would want walking out in the streets. Uh, knowing that Jesus had a lot of favor with the general population, he gave them this choice. What do you want me to do? Verse 9, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Knowing it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to them, but the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. You've you got to appreciate that Pilate didn't offer to release Jesus because he was concerned about justice. He knew that the religious leaders didn't like Jesus, and Pilate would have been delighted to give the chief priests what they did not want. Now, what's, how is it possible that this crowd would turn against Jesus so quickly? I mean, after all, just a few days before, they'd held a parade in His honor. They shouted praises to God. They threw a party as Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And countless, throughout his ministry, countless people had been healed by Jesus. He amazed them with his teaching. He he fed crowds of thousands by miraculously multiplying a boy's lunch. He had raised people from the dead. They tried to make Jesus king by force. But now they're willing to let a murderer go free rather than release an innocent man. Why? Why? Because Jesus had disappointed their expectations. The, The people wanted freedom from the oppression of Roman rule. They wanted Jesus to save them now, which is what Hosanna means. That's what they shouted, save us now. And Jesus didn't do it. They wanted Jesus to go along with their agenda, but he didn't do it. So they rejected him as their king. Uh, Let me just point out to you that that's the danger of expectations uh, because we have this tendency to expect Jesus to give us the salvation we want rather than allow Him to give us the salvation we need. And and there are some of you today who are disappointed in Jesus or you have been in the past and and you need to reflect, why is that? What is it that I was expecting Him to do that He did not do or has not yet done? You've got to appreciate that God is uh, providing for you the salvation you need More than that which you want. So Pilate's plan backfired. The crowd chose the rebel, Barabbas, instead of Jesus. And uh, actually this is uh, ironic. Mark is setting up this irony that Jesus is actually going to be sentenced to death for a crime he did not commit. that, That the man set free actually did commit. There's the irony. So Pilate must decide what to do, and he turns to the crowd, verse 12. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Now Pilate obviously doubts that Jesus deserves to be put to death, but he's not going to risk his political future and power on Jesus. He knows uh, a face, he can't afford a mob on his hands, especially during Passover. So, even though he doesn't see guilt, uh, the mob outweighs the lack of evidence. And Pilate, uh, knowing it would be political suicide to do otherwise, gives in. Jesus is first flogged. Uh, that, that means he is stripped naked, his hands tied above his head on a post, he is whipped with leather thongs. Uh, each of those thongs had a piece of lead or a bone or a hook attached that would tear into the flesh right down to the bone. This whipping, this flogging was carried out by two men, one on each side. And there was no limitation under Roman law. In the Journal of Arizona Medicine, uh, Dr. Truman Davis described what would happen, and I will not read it to you. It is chillingly graphic, and I won't read it because the Gospels do not go into detail about this. The purpose was degradation and dehumanization. That's why you executed criminals in this fashion. You dehumanized them. You viewed them as beasts, as animals, as deserving of death. And flogging was so horrific that many prisoners never even made it to execution. And this brutality is what the prophecy of Isaiah described centuries before uh, Jesus came into this world. Uh, It it talks about how he was despised, rejected, wounded, afflicted, pierced, beaten, crushed for our sin. That's what happened to Jesus. And in the face of it all, he said nothing. One scholar called Jesus' response majestic serenity. And I would say that's what the the peace of Christ ruling your heart looks like. When you're overwhelmed with anxiety, that's how the peace of God guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Things are swirling around you, but you have a majestic serenity. Where does that come from? It comes from knowing that God is in control. That your life is in His hands. That no matter what the maelstrom is that swirls around you, that you are protected by God. Your will is subservient to the will of God. And you pray for His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's majestic serenity. And Jesus suffered all this for us. He bore our sin. He paid the price. And apart from His sacrificial death and glorious resurrection, there's no way to be accepted by a holy God. That's why Jesus came into this world to be the sacrifice, to pave the way, to bridge the gap between sinful people and a holy God. And by His death, burial, and resurrection, He made it all possible. And after the beating, notice how He was mocked by the Roman guards. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, twisted together a a crown of thorns and set it on him, and they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him, and when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and led him out to crucify him. Why this mockery? Well, I think the answer is in Hail, King of the Jews. That's what they mocked him with. Uh, Ray Stedman says that they weren't simply angry at Jesus, but the Jewish people. And all the pent-up hatred and resentment against this stubborn, difficult people came pouring out and found its object in this lonely Jew whom they understood was regarded in some sense as King of the Jews. And all, Stedman says, all the foul mass of bigotry and racial hatred came pouring out against Jesus. And so they disgraced him with this mock worship. And a purple robe and a crown was meant for royalty, but Jesus is crowned with thorns, and his reign is rejected in the most violent and degrading scene imaginable. They refused Jesus as king. Now it's easy, I think, to condemn Pilate, to condemn the leaders, to condemn the crowd, to condemn the soldiers without looking at myself. And I would tell you that there are Have been far too many times I have rejected the reign of Jesus in my life. That I want his mercy, I want his forgiveness, but I'm much less willing to turn over control of my life to him. Let me remind you that Jesus didn't come just to be our Savior, but to be our King. As Romans tells us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, then we shall be saved. So there's this acknowledgement that Jesus is in charge of all, our Savior, our Lord, our King. And if we see Jesus as King, then everything changes. When I was in high school, I had a a class that uh, took us to a local elementary school to teach for a day. I don't know why. I was not in a class about teaching. I don't remember why, but we went to this elementary school, and in and, um, and one period in this classroom, the, the adult teacher left me and another student alone with these elementary students. And, and I could see all of a sudden their, their attitude changed. The, the look on their face when they realized their teacher was gone, and these two high school kids are up there, and, and there was this look, this feeling that, that, that came over and they said, You have no power here. And chaos erupted. And we could do nothing. This room was uh, just kids running everywhere and screaming and throwing things. And it was so loud, the teacher came back in and everything was quiet because the authority came back in. The recognized authority. The little peons who knew nothing had no control. When you recognize who the authority is in your life, it changes how you live. Uh, it it means if Jesus is king, it means that I'm no longer free to live any way I want. It means I no longer have complete control over my checkbook, uh, my my relationships, my schedule, my plan. They all belong to Jesus, my Lord, my God, the the one I worship. And so I can't simply give him one area of my life and keep the rest. He demands it all. My half-hearted worship mocks him. My flagrant disobedience disrespects him. Perhaps there's an area of your life that you need to surrender to Jesus today. Perhaps you have not allowed Jesus. You've recognized Him as Savior, and yet you've not allowed Jesus to rule over what you watch, what what you do on your phone, uh, looking at or dealing with inappropriate things, and you need to give Jesus control over that area of your life. Perhaps you haven't allowed Jesus to rule over your relationships. You hang around people whose opinion you care more about than You care about His will. You need to give Jesus control over this area of your life. Perhaps you haven't allowed Jesus to rule over your finances, so you spend money however you want with no concern about how God wants you to use those resources for His glory. Perhaps you haven't allowed Jesus to rule over your schedule, and you give Him an hour on Sunday when it's convenient to you, but not much else, and you don't serve, you don't use your gifts, you don't build up the body of Christ, the church. You need to give Jesus control over this area of your life because Jesus didn't just come to be Savior. He came to be our King. And that's why as he left, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's why the Bible says God has exalted him to the highest place and given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And God the Father says he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. And one day that kingdom will arrive in all its glorious fury when jesus returns as king of kings and lord of lords and so if you claim jesus today i invite you to celebrate that kingdom that was one for us on the cross as we gather around this table this morning and we eat this bread and we drink this cup in remembrance of Him. If you are a follower of Jesus today, if you are one who's put your trust in the living Savior, then you are welcome around this table as you examine your own heart to see what, what Lord do I need to confess? What Lord do I need to get rid of? How do I need to put you in charge again in my life? And as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you do so in celebration and remembrance of what He did for you that he brought you into his kingdom, out of darkness into light, made you a son, made you a daughter, made you a full heir with Jesus by grace through faith, not of anything I did or you did, but what he did. Thanks be to God.